Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redeemer Church. Redeemer Church is located in Fate, Texas, and her mission is to share the gospel, shape disciples, and send missionaries into the surrounding communities and across the globe. We hope that this week's message will bring glory to God by building you up and resulting in you looking more and more like Jesus himself. This morning, church, it's good to see you in the room today with us. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you're there as well. Uh, at this time, I'm going to go ahead and dismiss our kiddos. Um, our primary school first, primary class first, Miss Kimberly and Miss Abby are in the back of the room. And so if you're in kinder or first grade, they're going to take you down the hall for your lesson this morning. You guys can go ahead and make your way back there and find them. Now that they have at least cleared the back section of the room, I'll go ahead and dismiss our grade school kids. They're with Miss Michelle and Mr. Trevor. They're in the back of the room back there as well. They will take you down the hall to your class as you make your way out today. As they transition out, I just want to take a moment to extend a welcome to any guests we might have in the room with us today. Um, when you came in, there should have been a card like this somewhere around you. Um, on that ca- one side of that card is a place for a little information about yourself so we can just send you some information about us, answer any questions that you might have. On the other side of that's a place for prayer requests. If there are things we can pray with you or for you about, it'd be our honor to do that. Um, if you do fill out one of these cards, there is a box at the kiosk in the back of the room. You can drop it there on your way out. We'd love to connect with you, pray for you, answer any questions you have about Redeemer. There's also a way to fill those, both those cards out online on the homepage of our website with a quick, easy click. You can scan the QR code on the seat back in front of you and find that there as well. Uh, if you've got a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. If you don't have one in front of you, it'll be on the screen behind me as we read it together in a moment. Uh, but we've been working through a series called Disciplined Discipleship. And we've been considering how habits form our hearts and our lives. The things that we do on a regular basis, not the real big decisions that we make, but the daily, weekly, monthly, regular routines that we establish form our hearts and shape our lives. And this morning we turn our attention to a message that I've tagged with the title, Giving to Kingdom Work. Giving to kingdom work, because giving on a systematic, regular basis, it shapes and forms our hearts. It's exactly what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. So let's read the text together in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is God's word. Listen, in 1993, Steven Spielberg uh, had directed two movies that were released into the theaters. Uh, Jurassic Park and Schindler's List. 
Now, while the former Jurassic Park may have gained a lot more traction in popular culture because, I mean, who doesn't appreciate reanimated dinosaurs, right? That's pretty unique. But rather, it was Schindler's List that drew more critical acclaim, winning the Academy Awards that year for Best Picture, Best Directing, Best Writing, Best Production Design, Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, and Best Music, right? It stole the show. And toward the end of that movie, Schindler's List, there is a gripping scene where Oscar Schindler, who was a man who had been buying the freedom of Jewish people from Nazi guards and releasing them, he reflects upon how much he has done and what else he could have done in a conversation that he has with another man named Itzhak Stern. And Schindler says this, the conversation goes this way. He says, I could have done more. I could have got more out. I don't know if I just, if I could have got more. And Stern replies, Oscar, there are 1,100 people who are alive because of you. Look at them. Schindler says, if I made more money, I threw away so much money, you have no idea. If I had just stern interjects, there will be generations because of what you did. Schindler says, I didn't do enough. Stern replies, you did so much. And then Schindler says, this car, Goeth would have bought this car, why did I keep this car? 10 people right there, 10 people, 10 more people, this pin, Two people, this is gold, two more people. He would have given me two for it, at least one. One more person, a person, Stern, for this. Schindler says, I could have gotten one more person, and I didn't, and I, I didn't. Now, my rendition of it is less gripping than watching the actual production. But that scene is so gripping. But the line that rings so true from that scene in our culture is this one. I threw away so much money. And the reason this line rings so true is because the way of the way we look at money, the way that we think about money, the way that we feel about money, and the way that we use money our relationship to money, and this has to do with our hearts, and as we've said before, our hearts are shaped by what? Listen, in our 21st century American culture, our hearts have been shaped by habits of unhealthy spending. Let me give you four breaking spending habits. In other words, they shop for entertainment purposes whenever they are bored. Some people have the habit of spending money when they're bored to bring a little excitement to their life, so they scroll through Amazon or Facebook Marketplace, look, just looking for something to buy in order to pass the time and break free from their boredom. That is not a good spending habit. Some have impulsive spending habits. Right? Some people habitually go shopping while they're hungry. Right? As a result, they end up buying all kinds of things they don't need, and oftentimes they do so by spending money they don't have. So rather than making a plan with their money and making strategic purchases, they make choices on the fly and impulsive decisions. Some have therapeutic spending habits. Some people habitually go shopping while they are hurting. 
See, for some people, there's a release of a hormone in their brain called dopamine whenever they make a purchase. And dopamine is a hormone that's most notably involved in helping us to feel pleasure as a part of the brain's reward system, right? And physicians will tell us, right, that things like sex and smelling cookies baking in the oven, and yes, even shopping, can release a dopamine rush into our brains to lift our moods. So this feel-good neurotransmitter reinforces the behavior, and so we do it again, and we do it again, and we do it again, and again. So some people spend money to feel better as a therapy, which oftentimes can lead to some people having addictive spending habits. See, some people are addicted to spending money just like an alcoholic is to wine and whiskey or like an addict is to a hit of Coke. They spend their days and nights thinking about their next purchase, clothing, cars, toys, shoes, and then pulling the trigger to get their fix. Now listen, as a result, all of this leads us to a place as a culture, as a culture, where statistics tell us, listen to this, it blew my mind this week, that nearly two million people in the U.S. annually, how many? Two million people annually in the U.S. run up 50K or more in credit card debt. And a recent survey found that three out of five Americans, or 61% are in credit card debt, owing an average of $5,800. Furthermore, 23% say they go deeper into credit card debt every single month. Now listen, these spending habits are not developed overnight. They're developed over time. And they, listen, so as a result, they cannot be broken by a one-time decision at the end of the month or the beginning of the year. You don't break habits that way. Nor can they be broken just broken just by increasing our household income. Because you know what tends to happen as household income rises? What else rises? Spending rises. Yeah. So, so often, listen, the solution isn't just I need to make more money. The solution, rather, is I need to change my habits. Russell Moore is the founder, or I'm sorry, the former president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention and the current chief editor of Christianity Today. He once said this, he said, you cannot think your way out of a problem you practiced your way into. Let me say that again. You cannot think your way out of a problem you practiced your way into. He says you must practice your way out of a problem you practiced your way into. In other words, if your habits have produced an unruliness in your life, chaos in your finances, you cannot think your way back into an orderly situation. You have to change your habits. And listen, church, perhaps this is no more, nowhere more true than in our relationship to money to what we spend, to what we give, or what we keep. Listen, it's based less on what we know to be true in our heads. But it's more about the condition of our hearts. And our hearts have been shaped by our habits, so it's only new habits that can reshape our hearts. And this is exactly what Jesus says in Matthew chapter six in the Sermon on the Mount when he turns his attention to money and possessions. 
And there are three things that Jesus says in this passage I think that'll help us develop a new relationship with money by building new habits. Now listen, if you've been around for a while, you know that when it comes to talking about money and possessions, like don't wear kid gloves, okay? Don't handle it gently, okay? Right, we, we address it very clearly. Um, and so you're aware of that. If you haven't been around for a while, just put on your seatbelt and buckle up and we'll get through it together, okay? Yeah, but these three things that Jesus says, and the first one is this, that if you're to change your habits, listen church, you have to choose your master. You have to choose your master. In verse 24, Jesus lays down what I would call a logical impossibility when he says no one can serve two masters. And the two masters Jesus is referring to, right, they're not two part-time jobs you're working. Right? He's referring to the master of money or the mastery of God in your life. Let me see if I can make it plain like this. I remember as a child playing backyard football. Right? And inevitably, some, one of the adults who might be playing with us, right, an older cousin or uncle or somebody, would call all-time quarterback. Right? And for those of you unfamiliar with this deeply entrenched custom of backyard football, all-time quarterback essentially meant this, that you were playing quarterback at all times. So when team A had the ball, you were playing quarterback. When team B had the ball, you were playing quarterback, right? And so for each team, you were throwing passes, you were scoring touchdowns, you were calling plays, you were trying to help each team move the ball down the field, score, and ultimately win. Right, because you're playing for both sides, playing for both teams. Yet in Matthew six, Jesus says you cannot play all-time quarterback. You can't play for two teams at the same time. He doesn't say you shouldn't do that. He says you cannot do that. So in other words, with every decision that we're making with regards to money and possession, we're choosing one master over the other. Which one we will be serving? There is no all-time quarterback. You can't play for both sides. It's not a moral imperative that he's giving, but a logical impossibility. And then he tells us why. He says, here's the reason no one can serve two masters. Because one will get your loyalty while the other gets your leftovers. One will receive your affection while the other will experience your rejection. That's why you can't serve two at the same time. So here's what this means, church. Let's break it down very plain. If we choose to serve money, it will have your loyalty and affection. What that means is you will make your decisions in life on the basis of what will make you the most money, allow you to keep the most money, allow you to spend the most money, and afford you the status that comes with that money. Now listen, I'm right now in the living room of a lot of people in our culture, okay? I recognize that. So many people base their choices in life on what will make them the most money, thinking that if they could only reach a certain financial threshold, it would make them happy. So what happens is they move their family, perhaps all over, right? Looking for the next opportunity, the next promotion, the next raise, the additional income that they feel like they need in order to be satisfied, the next position, the next salary, to finally get to them that place of financial security and happiness. However, and this is a side note, worth exploring in a whole sermon in and of itself, 
right? Research demonstrates that the number one factor, listen, the number one factor in determining the level of happiness in a person's life is not their salary, but rather or not, rather whether or not they have warm, loving, intimate relationships with other people in their life. It's not how much you make, but it's who you know deeply in life that determines your happiness. Now what this might mean is that we stop moving from place to place and starting over, but we hunker down in one place. We develop deep relationships, we change our habits of spending, we look at other career opportunities in our area if we really are underemployed, because that situation does happen. And we figure out how to make it work rather than thinking the next move is gonna be when it all comes together. That'll be the solution. See, when we're serving money, it gets our loyalty and our affection, and God gets our leftovers and experiences our rejection. Because listen, if we're constantly on the search of the next position or promotion that will bring us the stability that we're seeking through money, then we're constantly starting over in new places with new people and new churches, and we really never have time to go deep with people and exercise our gifts, steward them like we talked about last week, and use them to build the body and serve the Lord. If we're serving money in addition, we will miss opportunities to serve God in the day-to-day experiences we have because we'll be so focused on productivity, on quotas, and on goals that we'll look right past people, walk right by them in their need. See, if money is our master, we will end up using people rather than loving them in order to make more money. Now listen, some of you are like, so what you're saying right now, preacher, right, is that making money is bad. It's wrong to make lots of money. I'm not saying that at all. The Bible never says anything about making lots of money. Never says anything against making a lot of money. It does condemn making a lot of money in unscrupulous ways <laughs> through unjust means and measures. The Bible speaks of that in the Old Testament. But listen, there's nothing wrong at all with making money, making a lot of money, making billions of dollars. Nothing wrong with that at all. The problem is not never how much you make. The problem is when money has mastery over you. It controls you. It influences every decision that you make. And you can know if money has mastery over you because rather than saving, which the Bible commends, says do this, you hoard, which the Bible condemns. Money has mastery over you if you only give to things and in ways that directly will benefit you in return. And money has mastery over you when you begin to believe, listen, I know I'm stepping on toes, including my own. Begin to believe that luxuries are necessities. See, either our lives will be built on the pursuit, acquisition, and retention of money and material possessions, or they will be built on the participation and the advancement of God's redemptive rule to the ends of the earth. One of the two. One of the two. Listen, only one master will get your love and loyalty. And I'll say this, in every instance when there is a competition between the two, there's a collision between the two or a contradiction between the two, one will win and one will lose. One will survive, the other will be destroyed. One will receive our loyalty and the other experience our betrayal. Cannot serve God and money. 
not should not, cannot. You cannot play all-time quarterback unless you're playing backyard football. So if you want to change your habits, you have to choose your master, church. Listen, we have a real choice every time we get paid. Every single time. Who will I serve? Every time the direct deposit hits your account, who will I serve? Every Friday when the paycheck is cut and stuffed in the envelope, I don't even know if they do that anymore in a lot of places, right? Every odds and ends job that you work, right? Who will you serve? You have a choice every single payday. Second thing that Jesus says about developing new habits around money is that we must grow to value the eternal over the temporal. See, throughout the Bible, our views and values regarding the temporal, the thing, all the cables Steve pulled out of the box earlier, right? Our views regarding those things are consistently challenged time and time again. In his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, Randy Alcorn says that if you look at the life and teachings of Jesus, nearly 15% of everything that Jesus said when he taught had to do with getting, keeping, using, distributing, and approaching wealth. 15%. Some of you who are new with us, you're like, man, I showed up at the church, they're talking about money, right? That's all the church ever talks about is money. Listen, if we talked about about money as much as Jesus talked about money, you'd hear a sermon on money and possessions every eight weeks. That's 15% of the calendar year. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus warns his listeners to be on guard against all kinds of covetousness. This is one of the places it gets, our, our view gets challenged. And he tells a story to kind of seal the deal. He talks about a rich man whose land produces this exponential harvest. And when he brings all the grain in from the fields, he's like, what am I gonna do with all this stuff? My barns are already full. He's like, I've got an idea. I'll tear down those small barns and I'll build a bigger barn. And then I'll have adequate room to store all my grains and goods, right? In our, in our context, we'll be like, I'll just rent another storage unit, right? And I'll just move stuff into that joker, all right? So that's, that's kind of what's going on in this man's mentality. But I'll build a bigger barn so I can keep everything that I have. And in the parable, Jesus calls that man, does he call him wise? He calls him a fool. He says, for this very night, your life will be demanded of you. And he says, what will become of all the things that you have stored up for yourself? And then in verse 21 of Luke chapter 12, Jesus says this, so it is, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. In our text this morning in Matthew 6, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't touch them. That's my paraphrase. And where you don't need an alarm system. That's my paraphrase as well. See, when we lay up treasure on earth, we're valuing the temporal over the eternal. Listen, we all get enamored with things from time to time, don't we? Some of you have heard me tell this story before, but listen, I've got this old, beat-up, ratty boat, okay? That was my grandfather's, and then it was my uncle's, and then it was my dad's, and then it became mine. 
praise the Lord, right? Um, it floats and it runs most of the time. But every time I take it out to the lake, almost every time I take it out to the lake, and I see guys at the launch launching these brand new 21-foot boats that are all shiny, the gel coat on them is perfect. The color scheme is exactly what I would choose if I were to go out and buy a new boat. You know what happens to my heart? It wants that. I know I'm just talking, I know none of you have ever had that experience. <laughs> Listen, we all get enamored with things at times, don't we? With material possessions. But I love the way Jesus says it. Don't store up for yourselves treasures here where moth and rust destroy. That old boat got left out in the sun for a very long time. My grandfather could no longer launch it. And so it just baked the whole gel coat away, right? And so you can actually feel the metal flake in the boat's paint job now, right? Because it's a temporal thing that erodes and decays. Eventually the stringers in that boat will probably rot and I'll be left with something worthless and useless, but not yet. (laughs) And the truth is most things, church, depreciate and decay over time. That's what Jesus says, moth and rust destroy. Listen, your car that you drove in here today, it depreciates the moment you drive it off of the lot. In fact, studies show that within the first year, many cars lose up to 20% of their value. After that, they may lose 15% more per year until the four or five year mark. So that brand new car or truck that we bought will be worth half of what we paid for it in four to five years. That's sobering. Right, because it, moth and rust destroy. Listen, even those things that do appreciate Ah, this is about to get good. Even those things that do appreciate, like houses, will want, listen, they're one day they're gonna be scraped to the ground. Or they're gonna be gutted and remodeled. Because somebody in the next generation didn't like shiplap. <laughs> tear it all out. If you drive down to Highland Park today, you're gonna see vacant lots. And why are they vacant? Because somebody spent $3 million to buy the home that was sitting on their lot and then they scraped it to the ground to build a $5 million home in its place. Even those things that do appreciate will one day rot and rust and decay. Guess what, all those things that we decorate our homes with, the finishes that we just have to have, when we go to Lowe's and the Home Depot and we see all the nice new stuff, one day they'll be in a landfill or in a bonfire. The clothing you have in your closet, listen, is one day gonna be hanging on a thrift store rack or buried under someone's leftover lasagna <laughs> in the landfill. Now, I'm not saying don't decorate your house. And I'm not saying don't go buy clothes. Please do. (laughs) What I'm saying is we have to learn the value of the eternal over the temporal. And make our primary, largest, and most significant investment in eternal treasure that will not decay, that will not rot, that will not rust, that will not depreciate.
that has eternal value, that it cannot be stolen. No one can take it. It won't be scraped over by bulldozers, bulldozers run over by dump trucks or burned off. Listen, over the years, every time I go home, my dad has some kind of new piece of junk that he's acquired. <laughs> and I keep telling him, I'm gonna have to haul all that stuff out of here one day. And I said, in fact, when that day comes and you die, I said, I'm gonna price the house at two different prices. One of them is gonna be a lot lower if someone will take all the junk with it. And it's gonna be a lot higher if I have to haul it off. And he just laughs and keeps buying junk. (laughs) One day your kids are gonna do the same thing with the stuff that you bought. When we lay up treasure in heaven, church, we're choosing the eternal over the temporal. And listen, we do this by creating habits in our lives of giving, of giving, Every time we get paid, we got a choice. Which one am I gonna value? So let me give you a little help on this. Four things with regarding to valuing the eternal. First, I think we need to learn to value the eternal locally. Locally first. So you start within your local church, the place where you are ministered to, cared for, shepherded, discipled in your walk with Christ, and so you support the regular ministries of the local church, support the special initiatives of your local church, support the missions of your local church, and you partner with your local church to make disciples here and to the ends of the earth. So you value the eternal by giving locally, starting somewhere. But second, you value the eternal systematically. In other words, you gotta build a habit. And if it's a habit, then it's not haphazard. Right, some of us, that may be kind of where our giving is right now. It's kind of haphazard. Right, may give $100, you know, this month, and $50 three months from now, and then $175 six months from now, right? No, that's, that's haphazard giving. It needs to be a habit that is systematically built into your life. So aligning it with every pay period on a month-to-month basis so that you're valuing every time you get paid or on a monthly basis, right? You're valuing the eternal. You're making that choice to say, what God is doing globally and my support of that is the greatest investment strategy I could have. The greatest retirement plan that I could put in place is to value the eternal systematically. Third, value the eternal sacrificially. See, if we're storing up treasure in heaven, I know inflation's been a booger, okay? I get it, I feel it every single month. But listen, if we're valuing the eternal, you know what will happen eventually in our lives? Is that there will be an ever-widening gap between the lifestyle that we could live and the lifestyle that we do live because we're making sacrifices in order to be able to give to kingdom work. And fourth, value the eternal joyfully. Joyfully. One of the primary marks of giving to kingdom work ought to be a joyful gift. In 2 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and he's addressing an offering that he's taking up amongst all the churches that he's planted across the Mediterranean region. And he's gonna give it to the church in Jerusalem who was struggling. 
And this is what he says. One of the things he says in in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, he says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Some of you are like, man, I've heard greasy preachers use that line a lot. Let me just break down three Greek words that are there in the text to help us understand what Paul's saying. First, the word translated reluctantly, right? Not reluctantly. It literally means, reluctantly literally means with sorrow, pain, or grief. In other words, there should not be a sourness to our giving. Right, because when things cause us pain, when things cause us sorrow, when things create grief for us, oftentimes there's a souring in our spirit towards them. And Paul says there, our giving ought not to be sour giving. Second, the word translated under compulsion literally means this. Follow me. A necessity imposed by external conditions or by the law of duty. In other words, he's saying, no one should be twisting your arm behind your back until you say, uncle. I give up. Shouldn't be this dutiful giving, but a delight that you have to give to what God is doing. And then finally, the word cheerful means to be glad. In fact, the Greek word hilarios, from which we get our English word hilarious, When something's hilarious, right? It is funny as all get out. It makes us laugh, it makes us glad. Fills us with joy. And so Paul's saying we ought to be filled with joy and laughter as we give and give and give to what God is doing. So we value it locally, we value it systematically, we value value it sacrificially, and we value it joyfully. Every time we get paid, we have a choice. Which master will we serve? And where will our investment go first? Third and finally, Jesus says if we're going to change our habits, listen, we have to learn to lead our hearts. We have to lead our hearts. One of the reasons people find themselves in unhealthy habits of spending, church, is because they follow their hearts, their desires, their feelings, their commitment to pleasure or possessions. However, if you're gonna break free from those unhealthy habits and develop healthy ones of giving to kingdom work, you have to learn not to follow your heart, but to lead your heart. And the only way to do that is through new habits. I sound like a broken record, but it is true. Look, in verse 21, Jesus lays down a principle. I'll show it to you from the text. Lays down a principle of giving when he says that where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Notice he does not say, where your heart is, your treasure will be also. But rather, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. In other words, you lead your heart by what you do with your treasure. Now, put a pin in that for just a minute. We're gonna come back to it. Because in verse 22 and 23, Jesus talks about another part of our body. He talks about our eyes. He talks about our eyes. He says, he does, what he doesn't say is that your eyes are the window to your soul, like some Lifetime Hallmark Channel movie, right? We're like looking in deeply into the eyes of 
making googly eyes at your boyfriend or girlfriend, right? Yeah. Yeah, you students know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> it's not a window into the soul. He says, rather, your eyes are the lamp to, for your body. There's a difference between those two things. A window you see through, a lamp you see by or with. And Jesus says, it's not a window, it's a lamp. And he says, healthy eyes, they fill our bodies with light, while unhealthy eyes, they result in a body full of darkness. So what he's saying is this, that what we fix our eyes on, what preoccupies our attention in our minds, what entertains our imaginations, it has an illuminating effect in our lives. It's the lamp of our body. The eyes are the lamp of the body in the sense that they show us which way to move and to turn, where to step, where to sit, where to go. Our eyes give us direction and move us toward what they are fixed upon, what they're preoccupied with, what they're constantly looking at. And as such, they have a navigational effect for our entire life. Let me see if I can break it down this way. I remember a number of years ago when my kids were still in car seats. Okay, that's been a minute. But when my kids were still in car seats, I remember my wife and my two children taking a trip with my parents. That guy dropped them off at my parents' house in South Louisiana and driven back up here after a vacation. They spent a few days with them down there and my parents were gonna drive them up and, and meet us and drop them off to reunite. So everyone gets strapped in. This is a number of years ago, mind you. My dad pulls out a map. You guys know what those are? Like a paper map? Like a, like a road atlas? Yeah, and he starts flipping pages in that road atlas to determine the route he's gonna take. And my daughter, who's in preschool age at that time, from the back seat, she says, Papa, you don't have Google? Because right? she knew what Google was, that we navigated with it. Right? It gave us directions. But before Google, there were charts, there were maps, and before those printed maps even, listen, sailors on the high seas that were navigating, they navigated by the stars. Because the stars were these fixed points in the heavens, particularly the North Star, because no matter what time of the day it was, and no matter what orientation they had, the North Star never moved. It was a fixed point in the heavens, so they could always tell where they were headed, where they were and where they were headed, based upon their relationship to that North Star. It provided a navigational effect for them. There was a fixed point they were constantly gazing at to determine where they were and where they were going. And listen, church, if I can put it simply, what you are looking at will lead you. What you are looking at will lead you. What you fix your eyes upon, what that, that fixed point on your horizon is that you're constantly staring at to determine where you are and where you're headed, that is what you're gonna be moving toward. What we fix our eyes upon will determine what preoccupies our attention, and catch this, what preoccupies our attention will eventually capture our affections and our loves, and that will ultimately determine our actions. So it goes attention, affections, actions. Attention, affections, actions. Creates a feedback loop. So let me ask you, what is your fixed point on the horizon of your life? So let's come back to that pen we put in verse 21 when Jesus says, where your treasure is, that your heart will be also. 
Listen, men, if you spend your discretionary time, and listen, I'm preaching to myself right now, if you spend your discretionary time looking at new toys and tools and watching video tutorials about how these toys and tools are gonna make your life so much richer and so much fuller and so much better. And every time you get paid, you jump online or you drive to the store to look at those new toys and tools or to buy a new toy or a new tool. You're leading your heart in a direction with your eyes. And then you invest your treasure in new tech and new toys and new tools. So your heart gets invested in those things. The latest toy for your hobby, the latest tool for your workshop. And all this creates a feedback loop. Your eyes, your treasure, your heart. Your eyes, your treasure, your heart. Do you see that? Ladies, I I can't leave you out. If you spend your discretionary time and energy looking at new clothing and shoes, watching Facebook ads and fashion trends, reading articles and researching different brands to buy, and every time you get paid, you jump on Amazon or you drive to the department store, if you ever shop at the department stores anymore, I don't know, and you look at and try on new clothes and shoes, listen, if that's, that's the pattern and the habit of your life, you're leading your heart in a direction. And then you invest your treasure in those new things. In the latest fashion, the newest brands, and it creates a feedback loop. Your eyes, your treasure, your heart. Your eyes, your treasure, your heart. Young ladies, I didn't leave you out either. Listen, if you're looking at makeup tutorials and the latest fashion trends on YouTube, scrolling through beauty products that you see advertised, Investing your allowance money on products to conceal and cover, I I know, you gotta make your face, right? And clothing to accentuate your features and spending hours in front of the mirror primping and prepping, it will lead you to become a certain kind of person. There's no avoiding it. The kind of person who looks on the outward appearance but is less concerned about the heart. If the fixed point, if your North Star is your appearance, your treasure will be invested there and it will capture your heart and you will care more about that than anything. Young men, if you spend all your discretionary time looking at the kind of car or truck that you want to buy one day, right, all the features you want it to have, audio systems and rims and tires and lift kits and all those types of things, listen, you're leading your heart in a direction, right? You're leading your heart in a direction so that when you do get paid, right, your money's gonna go to those things and those things are gonna become very close to your heart because your treasure is invested there. It's this constant feedback loop in our lives. Jesus says if we're going to break these unhealthy patterns of spending, We have to learn to lead our hearts and not follow them. And listen, the way that you do that is by finding a new North Star. A new North Star. Listen, church, if you are looking 
continually looking day after day after day at the God who though he was rich, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter nine, became poor for our sake so that by It's not promising you riches of a spiritual relationship with God the Father, but that God bankrupted the heavens and the sending of his and walk with God. If that's what you're looking at consistently, then eventually you have your attention. If your treasure is going towards that, listen, students, you have a real choice, just like the adults. Every time you babysit, right? Every down the church, every time you get paid for scooping ice cream or working odds and ends jobs, moving dirt around somebody's yard, whatever it is, right? You have a choice to make. Am I gonna lead my heart or am I gonna follow it? And can I just say, young people, if you don't start that now, because right now you make 50 bucks, right? So I'm gonna give systematically out of that. Say I give five bucks, right? Listen, it's very different when that paycheck is $5,000. And now you're cutting 500 out of that. If you don't build that habit now, it gets harder to develop it the older you grow and the more money that you make. That's, I'm speaking from experience. And you could talk to probably any adult in the room and they would tell you the exact same thing. See, we have to look at the God who did not withhold his only son and know that he will freely give us all things. And it'll lead you to become the kind of person over time who would freely give to kingdom work. See that Jesus spent his life, his life, to lay up treasure in heaven, which is you and I, so that we would lay down our treasure for the sake of his kingdom and invest it well. Listen, if we are going to break those habits, we have to lead our hearts. We have to value the eternal over the temporal, and every time we get paid, we have to choose who we're gonna serve. Every single time. I'm gonna invite the band to come back up, and we're gonna sing in response to what God has said. We're gonna sing a song many of us know and know well and perhaps love. It's called Jesus is Better. And in that song, we're gonna declare together in all our sorrows, Jesus is better. In all our victories, Jesus is better. More than all wealth, Jesus is better. Church, he's better. Let's sing and pray together that God would make that true in our hearts. So we develop these new habits to reshape our hearts as those who get to, so that we wouldn't be those who got to the end of our lives and said, I threw away so much money. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, we wanna extend our heartfelt gratitude to you 
for the sending of your son who freely emptied himself, we're told in the book of Philippians, of all things, did not consider equality with you something to be grasped, but rather took on the form of a servant in order to serve you and serve us. And he spent all the capital of his life in order to secure the salvation for all who would trust and treasure him. And we return thanks to you for that. May we as your people live a life of gratitude, giving to your work locally and systematically, sacrificially and joyfully because you are our master and we're leading our hearts to be in line with that truth. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Church, stand this morning and sing with us as we respond to what the Lord has said. Hey, this is Pastor Shannon, and I wanna thank you for tuning in today. I trust that the Lord has spoken to you through his word, and if you don't know Jesus as your savior, I invite you to trust him today. If you have questions about what that means, reach out to us through our website, RedeemerRC.com, and one of our pastors will be in touch. In addition, if you would like to partner with Redeemer in her mission to share, shape, and send, you can support our ministry by visiting RedeemerRC.com forward slash give. Now, this podcast is not intended to replace your active participation in the life of a local church, but tune in next week as we continue to lift high the name of Jesus through every paragraph, passage, and page of the Bible.